Hey, housewives, come on in. You know the dirty dishes are still in the sink from yesterday and the laundry is still in the basket. Pop your AirPods in and make yourself at home here. I'm Tracy. I'm Tori. And we are your Unlikely Housewives. Stepping out in faith and believing that God calls the unlikely, we are here to show you the appreciation and validation you deserve, lead you to authentic relationships, and release you of believing the cultural lies to restore your faith and wellness. Pull up those high-waisted yoga pants, tighten your top knot, and reheat your coffee for the third time. Turn up the volume and let's go. Hey, housewives, we are here and you're here. It's a great Tuesday. Happy to have you. And we have got another fabulous guest for you. I cannot wait. She has got some expert knowledge. Go ahead, Tracy. Tell them who she is. Yes, we have Erica Sheets here with us today. And Erica is a friend to Tori and I from The last few years, we have really gotten to know her just through so much with schooling and just what has gone on in our education world. And she is to us an expert because we have not taken the time that she has in the length. Now, we do our own research and we do our own supporting of our kids. But what Erica has done has gone above and beyond and has created such a foundation in a community that gives us a wonderful resource. And so we're going to talk with her today about Public School Board 101 because there's so many questions and there's so many things out there, myths and so forth. But Erica, welcome. Tell our listeners a little bit about you. Thanks, ladies. Hello, housewives. So great to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, I've been married for a long time to my college sweetheart and we have two kids. One is 19 and one is 16. And that's hard to believe. But I know, um, right? When you say those numbers, you're like, oh, crap. It really doesn't (laughs) seem like it was that long ago. We moved to the Kansas City Metro 13 years ago, and they were just six and three. And I can't even believe they're like grown up beings now. (laughs) But um, and then we lived in Cleveland before that. And I'm from the Detroit area originally. And so I got into this whole thing deeply about three years ago. So in 2020, everybody remembers that little pandemic thingy that mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, oh, was, was that foggy that? memory? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I don't remember. World shut down. And uh, with the school shutting down and being completely virtual, we have two kids that are special education and special needs. And so completely virtual is a disaster in that scenario, arguably a disaster for a lot of reasons. But certainly for us, that's how it really touched us. And so I figured out quickly, how do I interact with my school board? And I just figured out when the meetings were because I went online and searched it mm-hmm. <laughs> by my school district name and school board meetings and meeting schedule. And they had it right there, the address. And you can even oftentimes watch a live stream, which is nice. But I would go in person and I chose to focus on speaking about the federal laws that govern special education and what the school district's have to provide according to federal law. And at the time, our school district was considering whether or not they would even be back in session in the fall. And so my job was self-appointed to make the case (laughs) for the special ed moms out there and kids that they really weren't going to be able to stay legal and do what needed to be done according to the law by keeping special ed kids at home. And that's kind of what started the ball rolling for me. So why, I guess at the time, the reason I'm maybe answering this question myself, but at the time you went above your school, not just teachers or to your principal, your the administration, but you went to the school board because at the time that's who was making all the decisions, right? Of whether in school or out of school, virtual versus not, it wasn't an individual school thing, right? That's so true. And of course, at the time, the way you access teachers was through email mostly. And then if you maybe hopped on when they were doing a virtual live session, and it was very clear that they weren't in a position to make the decisions around that. And we also started the fun game of who actually makes the decisions and has the authority and responsibility. And and so for the first time, uh, I hate to admit, but true, uh, first time I started reading the Kansas State Constitution mm-hmm. to understand where does the authority lie here? 
And it does in this state lie with the local school boards. But interestingly, the local school boards decided that they were going to farm out some authority to entities I didn't know a whole lot about until about three years ago, like the Johnson County Board of Commissioners. Hmm, that's interesting. So even though the school boards has the authority to make these decisions, they're actually allowing other institutions or the Johnson County Health Department or uh, the CDC or other institutions that they would say, basically, oh, our hands are tied because this is what's and recommended. And the CDC is a national, Correct. right? So yes. based on what the CDC says or the Surgeon General, like there's a lot of federal generalizations that. That's interesting because we, I mean, I know f- personally, like what's best for me in Kansas may not be what's best for somebody in California or mm-hmm. like we have different ideas of what's best for me. Yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting because you see that things were set up in such a way so that there was as much local control as possible. So with the local school boards having the authority, that's great. I mean, so I think this structure is right on. And that way, these are real people that are your neighbors and that they're, you know, easily more easily accountable, certainly. But then when they sort of willingly handed over authority to these other organizations, some of which were local, some of which were not local. And then it became a a pointing game of like, well, it's not our fault. Don't get mad at us because these people say we can't do this or we Mm -hmm. can't do that. And so it was an interesting way to start getting involved. And that's really one of the reasons that I got involved with the group of us who decided to launch a Moms for Liberty chapter locally because we needed help. We're not professional activists or politicians. And we're just parents who knew that our kids were suffering and we needed help trying to figure out this massive bureaucracy and all the finger pointing. And thankfully, the ladies who started Moms for Liberty National had been on their school boards and had seen behind the education curtain and could really teach the rest of us or our learning curve was a lot faster. That's awesome. Well, I think from going from zero of knowledge of school boards to being one who spoke at a school board meeting, there is a lot of fear in between. I had two very good friends that had raised their hand who had been involved very early on and had spoke. And I had to go have coffee with them because I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or what this is, but I am stirring. Like I could feel when I would listen to things that like anxiety stirring and you know, just the like, what is that feeling? Like, I know that I'm passionate about what I believe in for my kids and, but I don't know how to do all this. So I'd have coffee with them. And I think that one of the wonderful things that we have is the ability to show up, you know, to these meetings and be involved, but we don't know how. So let's start with the, how can, you know, we're talking, you know, school board 101, how can parents get involved with their local school boards? Yeah, you've got to start at the beginning and it might even mean you might not know what school district you're in. I mean, that's okay. Okay, so we just got to figure out what school district are you in and your child's school probably has a website. And if you're not sure what the district is, it should say on the website. And if for some reason that feels hard to figure out on the website, you could certainly call the school, ask the person who answers the phone they'll know. Or you could even search your child's school and like what district, right? If you didn't want to talk to a person, right? Because not everybody feels comfortable just picking up the phone and asking questions, right? Especially if you feel like you should know the answer to the question. Uh I know how that can be hard. (laughs) So figuring out what district you're in, first of all, and then once you know what district you're in, your district will have a website and it will have a lot of information on it. And if you want to learn about the Board of Education, Typically, you can search under Board of Education or you could literally just go to your favorite search engine and say, blah, 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 school district, Board of Education meeting schedule or, you know, something as simple as that. And it should pop up for you. Typically, there's a Board of Education page. There will typically be a meeting schedule. Oftentimes, they are recorded meetings. So if you even wanted to watch a past meeting that had already happened, They'll typically have a link that'll take you to YouTube. They should have notes and agendas on there as well. Most school districts will also use something called Board Docs or something similar to that, but it's almost like a Google Drive, if you will, where they will have a list of their policies. 
So you can typically, they're broken down by topic, even including the authority that the school board has and who has what and the role of the superintendent and the role of the president of the board and different things. So if you really want to understand what's happening, that's a great place to go and start kind of just reading through. It doesn't really matter in what order. It doesn't really matter where you start, but you it, because it's going to be overwhelming. It's a lot of information. It's a bureaucracy. And the bigger the school district, the more true that is. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good place to start. I mean, certainly, if you're interested in working with people who have been doing this already, you can certainly go to momsforliberty.org. There's a nice big graphic of the United States, and you can point and click on your area to see if there's a local chapter and connect with them. And they can certainly help you, you know, fast forward on your knowledge. Well, and typically what gets us to this point, right, is there's a specific issue that is under our skin that we're like, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. Like they shouldn't. I I don't agree with this. How to, besides writing, I do not consent letter to all of your kids, teachers or the principal or whatever. Usually there's some kind of thing that spurs the parent into action. While that is true, as of recently, I would say that. I would highly suggest if there is not an issue. That's what I was going to say. If there is not an <laughs> issue that is spurring you, take, just say, take 10 minutes a day, like, and just find out more. Find out if there, are there school board members that are up for election this year that are in your district? Like, don't wait until there's an issue mm-hmm. to get involved because it is so much harder to get someone out of power than it is to get someone in power. So like it's do be proactive in learning about your school board and the issues that matter to you. Well, and I think, too, that so much of obviously what has like ballooned, blowed up, whatever you want to call it from COVID with the pandemic and what came out in what these kids are studying, the conversations that they're talking about. I mean, we're going to go through a lot of these like myths and facts and things. However, there's so much more that the school board does from assessing and academics and the changes that they're making in the school, you know, curriculum changes, there's all kinds of stuff that are going on. So it also will give you if you check in to your local school board, maybe you see all the social media stuff and all the stuff that's on the news about, you know, education, the public school education world, check out at your local school board, what is going on so that you know, oh, my kid's math curriculum is about to change. I mean, how many people were shocked when Common Core came out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nobody knew it was coming. And then it came. And then all these parents were uproar because they're like, we don't know how to teach our kids math anymore. I mean, that's just a piece of the puzzle. And there's a lot more where that came from. It's so true. And it's a great if you really don't have something that is super inspiring you right now, it's a great idea to just figure out what school district you're in and who are your school board members. Yeah. How many are there? Who are these people? I think it's good to know, too, how long have they been on and serving? I think that's an interesting thing to note. And yeah, I mean, if you really want to go a little deeper, maybe watch the most recent meeting while you're, you know, kicking back and cleaning the house or having a <laughs> glass of wine or right. doing whatever you like going on a walk under your dogs. It'll be interesting to hear kind of what's happening and they'll talk about money and they'll talk about curriculum and they'll talk about initiatives that are going on. And you'll also hear other people speaking publicly. Now, this is a little bit of I'm going to put an asterisk there because they should be recording those public comments. Some districts have chosen to stop recording those. And so if you watch the live stream or you watch the recording later, you don't hear the public comments. But That's one thing you'll definitely get if you happen to pop into a meeting live. But it's interesting to see, well, what are your neighbors and community members speaking about and what motivated them to get up and go to this meeting and talk? And so it's it's a great way to start dipping your toes in. Okay, so let's talk about some myth versus fact. Okay, and I'm going to speak for because we're in Kansas. Let's talk about Kansas directly. My question would be is, does the school board... Is it up to them to for paying teachers more? Is that something that's up to them? Is it up to them to fund, to hire more teachers or to increase teacher salaries? Yeah, so it would be a myth that the school boards cannot do that. What they can't do is determine exactly how much money they're going to get from the state. 
the state legislature will do that. And this could look a little bit different in each state, but here in Kansas, that's true. But once that amount of money is determined, it is the school board's responsibility and how that money is spent. And they definitely determine what they're going to be able to pay teachers, paras, staff, administration, all the way up to the superintendent. And so they definitely can determine that. So uh, they delegate the budget, essentially. They do. This is going towards our the employees, the staff, the teachers, all of the, the specials, the and, extra. And, and there are different buckets. Here in Kansas, there's three different buckets where the funds go in and you can't intermix them. So if there are funds in one bucket, they can't necessarily be pulled over into another. But inside the proper bucket, yes, they absolutely control that. Okay. So then my next question is school boards, this myth being school boards should not micromanage. They shouldn't try to dictate how trained professional educators do their job. That seems kind of like a bad idea, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a definite myth. Um, that's sort of like saying, you know, the boss shouldn't really get involved in, you know, what your work product and result is. Like, I'm not a fan of micromanaging, but it's not a matter of your only two choices are micromanaging and completely hands off. But one of the popular talking points from the big ed industry, or as one of our founders likes to call it, the K-12 cartel, one of the big talking points is that, you know, the experts are the teachers, the experts are the educator administrators, and that that we should all defer to the experts. So not only should parents defer to the experts, but school boards should defer to the experts. But at the end of the day, the way the law is written in, in many states, including Kansas, is that the school board is where the buck stops in terms of responsibility. And so anything that you're responsible for certainly should have a very strong supervisory role. And certainly they're responsible for the results. So you need to have some well, level I'm, of involvement. I'm just thinking of like, in a terms of a hospital, like the chief surgeon, he's kind of got to guide and give his surgeons who are doing all things, heart surgeons, brain surgeons, he's kind of got to manage, not tell them exactly what, but saying like, you get to work within these parameters, like you get to work within these, these are things that are acceptable in our hospital, these are not, like that just makes sense. Not that you're going to tell a heart surgeon how to do his, you know, day-to-day -day job. I don't want him spending his time doing that. I want him to go, okay, don't worry yourself about these extra things. I want you to focus on heart surgery. I don't need you to focus on biology. I don't need you to focus on music. I want you to focus on the heart. Like, that just makes sense. Yeah, and there's the big picture, right? I mean, the school board picks the curriculum. They pay for the curriculum. They certainly, if And by picking curriculum, you mean like picking which textbooks the kids use, picking They don't which, use textbooks. Okay, <laughs> well, okay virtual textbook, textbook. <laughs> which is a whole other issue. Can we just... Resources, resources. Okay, resources. And like what the reading lists are, like that all kind of goes through them, yes? There's no question that it makes a difference is what is supposed to be taught. And they set the goals and standards for what they're aiming for results, achievement-wise and otherwise. And to say that this role is extremely important, but they don't really have any actual accountability is nonsense. Yes. So with the school boards, I mean, at the end of the day, how do you judge a successful school board? Ooh, that's a juicy question. <laughs> I love that. Well, I would say... From my standpoint, I think a school board that is genuinely interested in serving the true constituency and the true constituency are the families. Yeah. Yes, it's the children because they're the ones in the schools. And these are almost all of them minor children. And so that inherently means the parents and the larger community, because even if you don't have children or grandchildren in school anymore, you live in the district, your housing value is usually tied to how well your district is considered. Mm -hmm. So everyone has a stake in that. And so a school board that is truly focused on the constituency and not on the agenda, an agenda, but also even just sort of the system. Yeah. Right. The, the structure, the organization itself. 
the big ed system that is set up and perpetuating that and that that has to come first in order for them to serve and do their jobs. If they're focused on the system and not focused on the people, then I think that, you know, things start. Oh, yeah. Decisions are made completely different if you're considering a system versus actual people. Well, okay, so let's we have how many districts in our little area? Six. Okay, so I would say a successful school board would also judge like, hey, how well are we doing? Like, how well is our curriculum that we've picked out in reading? Let's see how many kids are at their current reading level. Let's see how many kids are at a correct math level for their grades and ages. I'd also say like, I would say, I'm more worried about high school graduation rate, I think, than I am percentage of kids going off to college because college is a whole separate conversation. College is not right for everybody, which that's a lie we've been told. So what are just some of the the numbers, like, for example? Yeah. And, you know, I'll just one thing to mention, too. It's like the names are not what happens. This is another thing that's happening. Like there's a gaslighting factor to this. So, for example, even things like high school graduation rates. Well, if they're graduating kids that really can't read at a 12th grade level, they're not meeting effective levels of proficiency in math at a 12th grade level, but they're just graduating them anyway. That's true. That's, That's a good going point. on. It's happening for sure. Um, many school districts are even changing away from letter grades to these other numbered systems that supposedly are a more equitable keyword buzzword way of like measuring and one, assessing. Two, three, four. Right. So four counts as graduate, like right. like a seventy-five, and then right. You're not having to give it. Like oh, we got specific numbers. Like I knew if I got. I mean, an 89, that's a B. Right. My parents didn't care about that plus and minus thing. No, no, that's a B, Tori. And I was like, no, no, it's a B plus. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's a B. Like, <laughs> let's just break those down by down. I mean, so. Right. So you can graduate and still not have those proficiencies. So that's just a side note. But, you know, you see them playing the ranking game, right? Like, oh, we're ranked number one. We're ranked in the top three. We're ranked such and such in the country. We're the best in the state. Well, that's great. But if, you know, 49% of your students are still not testing at at least an effective level of reading, then you're failing. That's not acceptable. And people here in our local area certainly don't believe that's acceptable. (laughs) We definitely think of ourselves as an area that has a reputation for excellent schools, a reputation for an excellent quality of life in general, Mm -hmm. um, and for good reason. But I think people are really shocked when they realize. Because we're also paying for it. Yes. Because that's, yeah. that's one of the reasons. I mean, nothing's free. <laughs> like, let's be clear. Like, there's things that we have chosen to invest in and because the of the lifestyle. I mean, but that's what it is. Yeah. Residents here have been very supportive of the school districts. Mm-hmm. Um, bonds that come up and various. There's education foundations here. And they're very well supported. And I think that's fantastic. Um, You have to have that community support. I mean, there's no question about it. So keeping it almost circles back around to what makes a great school board, right? Keeping the community out, keeping parents out, driving a wedge between students and parents or between teachers and parents or the school administrators and parents is not a formula for success. And I was going to say, too, like, I think the school board's in general, you know, granted, there are some places that aren't facing what we're facing, you know, and I have been in those seats in those meetings and there is so much tension. I mean, it's so one side when someone speaks and then another side when another speaks and then the school board speaks. And it's like there's just so I'm not saying that our school board isn't successful, but I'm saying that there are some of those things like the, you know, just the tension among is a piece like when I spoke the one thing I was like unity there is zero unity felt when it comes to some of these decisions it is very one-sided and that is the part that like you don't feel seen heard yes our children are the future but which children (laughs) you know like there's just they're so oh there's so much I I like that question though the children are our future but only if they're the right kids 
Hey, housewives, we are so excited. Oh my goodness, this is a dream come true. Y'all have heard us talk about our sauna sessions from the beginning, and we have Sutton Lighten as a sponsor of Unlikely Housewives. Why wouldn't we have a sauna session that brings all of the good juices flowing right out of our bodies when we're detoxing? Ex- bring it right to the Unlikely Housewives. Exactly. But first of all, some of those benefits. The intention of getting in the sauna for us was not to create a podcast. No. no I have another we just job. wanted to sweat. We detox. Wa- detox. We wanted to boost our immunity. We wanted the reducing of inflammation and some the weight puff. loss. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's anti-aging. I mean, there's so many benefits to infrared sauna sessions. And so that was our initial purpose. Yeah. And just to vent, it was that season of life that we just needed to sit and talk and talk about what was going on. And that's where it all happened was in the sauna. Did you realize that there are studies that show heat therapy produces endorphins, those feel good emotions? So we were boosting our mood and ideas. So far, we boosted so far that a podcast idea came just flowing out. You guys, this is an incredible opportunity for you. You can have up to $600 off using our link, which is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. That's get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. We'll put that link in the show notes for you too. But $600 off a Sunlighten purchase The one that I have got is the Impulse 3-in-1 Believe, and it's amazing, y'all. It has been the best health investment for our family. I'll say my friends because I invite them over. That's how I use the saunas in your... I I know. I come over and sweat. But it's so good and such a benefit. And And you said family investment. The kids can get in it, too. Exactly. The second I hear that there is a stomach bug going around class, Get in the sunlight and girls like you're going to do this in 20 minutes. Let's make sure your immune system is up to par to not bring that home for anybody. It is a family investment and you will not regret it. Again, that link for us is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. All the link will be in the show notes. So on that topic, let's move into, so like the children are our future. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that school boards are allowing to fill the schools and classrooms specifically is the general sexualization of our kiddos. It's true. And that's taking multiple forms. Here's a search thing. If you want to start digging into what's happening in schools out there, housewives, search comprehensive sexual education. It sounds pretty standard, right? Like those are all pretty straightforward words, but it's actually a whole thing. Um, And it's meant to be a pleasure-based teaching of sexuality starting right at the beginning of school in kindergarten or earlier, where, yes. (laughs) You can't see me, housewives. I'm shaking my head. Like that's, That is literally what I remember. Fifth grade, we separate the boys from the girls and we learn about puberty and how our bodies are changing and things like that. You do that in fourth grade now and now in fifth grade, you learn about the other sex, the other gender. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) And it's not just anatomy anymore. Um, If you look at comprehensive sexual education, it is multiple genders and which gender are you and which gender do you think you are? And by the way, that can change. And pleasure-based learning, masturbation, toys, fetishes, all kinds of topics that honestly I can say, and then maybe people out there will roll their eyes, but things I didn't know about until I was in college, hadn't even heard of. Um, But I'm definitely dating myself because this was for sure pre-internet days. No, but but still, like I remember my parents' biggest concern was, okay, in biology, you're going to learn about this thing called evolution. And then let's talk about how that lines up with biblical truth. No, we didn't come from apes. No, we didn't. You know, Charles Darwin, do your research, folks. He ended up recanting everything that he said. 
and realizing that that was all false, but we don't count that part of Charles Darwin. But anyways, but by like that was their biggest concern, like biology. That's what your school's going to teach you. But this is our biblical truth. This is our beliefs. Like now it that I have to. Oh, yeah. And so they're also creating an environment that's sexualized. So the you know, one of the big myths out there is parents are trying to ban books. Moms for Liberties banning books, your book banners. Um, Well, what we're looking at and concerned about are books that are highly sexualized, even in the elementary level, certainly in the middle school and high school levels. And they may deal with, you know, homosexual relationships, but they certainly deal with heterosexual relationships. They deal with pedophile level relationships. They deal with self-harm. They deal with trafficking. They deal with drugs. They deal with prostitution. It is shocking to find out what is in these school libraries and not just that that it's in there, but that the districts by and large are fighting to keep them in. So in our local district a year and a half or so ago, we had a parent, a father, he was not affiliated with Moms for Liberty, but he challenged two books in our district. Our district has clear policies about sexually explicit materials not being allowed in schools. And the father did a really nice job. I was at the special hearing myself pointing out the policy and then matching it up with the storylines in the books, the copy in the books, the images in the books. What were the two books names? Gender Queer, A Memoir and Fun Home. And you will find these in many libraries. I bet if you go to your child's school website. Is it Fun House? You're probably going to. It's Fun Home. Oh, Fun Home. Okay. Yeah. And so um, they're pervasive. In fact, this summer, the National Teachers Union, the NEA, had posts out there highly recommending and featuring Genderqueer, a memoir, and saying all the students should read this book this summer. And it is extremely graphic. It is. I don't encourage any of you to go look it up if you don't want to know what it is, but it's, in my opinion, straight up porn. But most of these pictures and graphics are porn. Well, that's the new thing, right? Graphic novels. And there's a whole genre of that. I mean, comic books now on steroids that are chapter books. And kids love them because they love the pictures and hearing the dialogue, seeing the dialogue come from each person, right? And so that's brought a whole new genre and way to communicate. It's not just the words anymore. Everything is like images, and things like that. So a lot of these books are images. But I will also, on your comment, Tracy, I for years have always said that romance novels are porn for women. And I think they are extremely damaging. I have a problem now, even a personal decision I've made for myself. But romantic comedy movies, it idealizes Like what marriage should be like how many oh if my husband was just more like that guy you know like it just but it makes you think that that's the way that a relationship should be and it gives you these ideas and then we've got all the other things so the other aspect of sexualization that's going on in schools is that the adoption of these one-to-one technology devices has also given them access that's been unprecedented, regardless of what their access looks like at home, because obviously parents are dealing with that and and you have to kind of deal with that directly. But at school, the school devices, I dare you to test the security on your child's school device, whether it's an iPad or Chromebook or MacBook or whatever the school helps um, using. When our daughter was doing her freshman year in the school district, I would not allow her to have a school device. And they said, well, why don't we give her a school device with an elementary level of security? And I said, well, give me a password, give me a login, and I'm going to test it first. And I could get to all kinds of stuff on YouTube and in Pinterest. I mean, one of the things I learned on Pinterest is you can get to any TikTok video just by searching. I mean, I was shocked to figure that out. So even with an elementary level of security. YouTube is terrible at putting things as age-restricted. Yeah, definitely not. Um, In addition to that, they may have apps to public library apps on there, which means they can also get to anything that's in the public library, which may or may not be, you know, what you're wanting your kids to access, regardless of what's in your child's school library. So there's a whole nother aspect of what's coming at them. 
there are apps and things on certain curriculums or additional curriculums where they will have a disappearing tab button. Like you get a quick escape if your mom turns the corner and is going to see your screen and you can hit this quick escape button. And so you won't see what it was they were just looking at. There are a number of schools that will have uh, links to things like the Trevor Project, where they have encouraged one-on-one chats with strangers for people who think that they might be a homosexual or they might be trans or might be having some questions about various things or might even feel like self-harming. And But then they're encouraging these one-on-one private conversations that your parents don't need to sign off on with strangers. Okay. Speaking on that, there is something called secrecy legislation or secrecy pact. Tell me what the name of it. That two of our local school districts already have in place. And if you are in the Kansas City area, that is Shawnee. Shawnee Mission School District and Olathe School District, and then also Wichita, so three in Kansas. Okay, where and they have what an, is it? What they have is an approach where they don't feel that they need to tell parents if they are calling your child by a different name or pronoun at school, and that they don't, they're not going to let parents know proactively that that's happening. And they may also, if parents inquire, may not tell them the truth. And it's a little hazy as to, is this a policy? Does a teacher or someone have to sign something and say that they're doing this? Um, We actually had a teacher here in Kansas go to federal court in Geary County because she challenged basis on her religion and said she was told to lie to parents and she wasn't going to do it. And that that went against her freedom of religion and she won Um, and she got a $95,000 settlement from the school district on that. And so, but that's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for those teachers to do and not everybody has the funds to sue. And so it's absolutely shocking to think that the school district is going to not tell you anything that has to do with your minor child, much less something that dramatic. Yeah, because you do, like you think that when I was in, because I graduated from public school, Plano, which is a very known Dallas school district, And they, I mean, we would go to the counselors, but they would encourage go home. I mean, and talk to your parents or like, see what you're doing about this. And I mean, but it was always deferred to the parent. Tracy, what about you? I know you went to a much Very small, very small school. I mean, and parents were, I mean, we were involved. I mean, there was a couple of things that, you know, I remember school board trying to get rid of a teacher and all of us students went on strike because she was one of the best teachers. You know, there's there were things that we were involved with, but it was it was community ran. You know, I mean, it, it really we were involved. And I think just to wrap this up, you know, this is such an incredible topic and just and really this is just to inform people to just get involved. And when you're shaking your head. If you're listening to this and going, that's not us, that's not in our school district or that's not in our area, you know, you have these feelings, just ask. It's okay to ask questions. Like, I think that I think we get in this space of like fear and, you know, I don't I don't want to put myself out there. And it's okay to just ask questions and ask your kids and ask, you know, other other parents like, hey, does this is this going on? Have you heard this? Like, how are your kids doing in school? You know, like. Well, and it just sometimes it's a quick email to your kid's school librarian. Hey, here's a list. of I would just like to know, can I access the list of books that are available to at my kid's school? Real quick, I know my only question is, could you rattle off just a couple of names of books that are fairly common in the elementary, middle school? I mean, and not that I think they're appropriate for high schoolers either, but just rattle off a couple of their names. Yeah, sure. Um, And by the way, you should be able to even search online for books that uh, search by title or author of both on your school website and or possibly your whole district website to see if they have a book. But some examples like the Gender Queer and Fun Home are examples. I think it's also pretty common, a book called Let's Talk About It. This book is gay, Uh, Living Dead Girl, a uh, number of books by Sarah J. Moss. That's that romance novel situation. Um, uh, okay. And let's be clear. This is, I know some of these things, I mean, queer and gay are in the names of these things. Like, I'm still opposed to having Fifty Shades of Grey in my kids' elementary school, middle school, even high school. 
I'm opposed to heterosexual relationships being fantasized on and talking sexually. Like those are conversations that need to be had at home. And that's completely separate than what the school should be offering available. Yeah. The Sarah J. Moss books are an example of that. Definite like heterosexual characters typically, but also sometimes adults with minors and pedophiles situations. Like there's a whole scene in one of them where someone's at the doctor and the doctor basically takes advantage and it's awful. Yeah. yeah. And there's traffic and and tricks, you know, about prostitution and about trafficking and crank dealing with, you know, drugs. And so it's definitely not focused on a certain type of sexuality or sexual activity or a certain group. It's uh, just the, the overall the, encompass of it's encouraging that pleasure, yeah. sexual, you name it. Or the activity. It. We saw, I, yeah. we prior to getting on here with you, we saw one of the graphics was a kid holding a knife to its wrist in a graphic novel. Like that's insane. I don't, why would, on earth would my kid even have that visual? Well, librarians are going to argue and they have argued in our local school districts that A phrase they use is that kids need, you know, windows and mirrors to see themselves in books, right? Whether it's around race or sexuality or whatever situation that they might be in socioeconomically or otherwise. And so that this is crucial to keep these kind of books in here so that those kids that can relate to it can see themselves and feel included. Yeah. Um, I want to say something on that, too, because (laughs) when I spoke out in regards to you know, the books in in our school district. And the reason that I spoke out was the grander scheme. Okay. If you want your child to read that book, that's your decision. I do not want my child reading that book. And you get the whole, well, your child has a phone. They can access anything, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, they can. But if my kid is in a public school setting that supports and includes and pushes these books to stay, what else are they going to present to my children? That's the question. And the other argument that's made right along with that is, well, they're going to be exposed to that. They're going to be exposed to those things. And so I'd rather have that happening in school. Well, first of all, like, have you background checked your teachers? Are the people talking with them about these intensely private personal things? Like, I'm not sure that that's the way you want to handle that, for one. For another, that kind of logic is like saying, well, Kids are going to be exposed to alcohol in high school, let's say, or heaven forbid, earlier than that. So does that mean we should have an open bar at my third graders Halloween party in school? Because they're eventually going to be exposed. So what's the big deal? Right. It doesn't make sense. No, there's a lot of just it's boundaries. Like I just we've just crossed so many lines of boundaries. and, And that's where parents are getting upset because it's going, hey, there's a lot of things that aren't broken and you're breaking them now, you know, like that's you're breaking down so many boundaries that it's causing so much confusion that that's why families are pulling from the public school is because they're going, this is way too confusing for my child. We're going to stay on our values and what we believe and what we you know want for our kids. Well, and on that note, by the way, since 2020, there have been over 1.2 million students in the U.S. that have left public education. And homeschooling has more than doubled to over 5 million kids. Uh, That's amazing. So it's a huge, huge deal. In fact, the federal government itself estimates that they're going to be down about 3.5 million kids by 2030. So they don't see, the government itself doesn't even see that trend backtracking or slowing down. Well, and then, okay, so knowing that, let's keep our eyes and ears open for when our state legislators are asking for more money for our son. Wait a second, but you have less kids than you did last year. Like, mm-hmm. let's look at how many kids are enrolled versus like, how about the idea, which is going on in a lot of states. I know one of our nearby states now is Missouri, where the money follows the child. I think that is imperative, like, because that only makes sense. I have kids at a private Christian school. That is something that we were very fortunate, a decision we made early on. But But you all should know she is an incredible advocate for the public school. Like She was more involved before I was and my kids are in the system. So thank you. But I want like those things, like I want parents to be able to make the choice. I want 
and y'all need all the help you can get. Amen. So <laughs> like I definitely encourage parents who do have their kids in private school, don't be fooled. Don't because this is your community. These are the houses. There's literally two other children in our neighborhood that go to private school. That's it. So like, don't be fooled and think for a second, just because your kid goes to school in a private education that these things aren't there. One, make sure they're not if this is important to you. But also your kids, like you are like the most five people you hang around Mm -hmm. every day after school. My girls are out hanging out with the neighborhood kids. But let's I mean, I want to make sure that like our community has our values and has our Foundation. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think the message really is we can't afford to just plug in to something good, a good school, good community, good system and turn our brains off and assume that everyone's doing what they're supposed to do in their roles. Because even in a situation where the money follows the child, which is great, and I think so many people support the bureaucracy and the structure still finds a way to get their tentacles in. So one way, for example, is through accreditation. And it's like, oh, well, if you want to be accredited or you want your child to go to an accredited school or does your homeschool have to be accredited, then you have to make sure and include these things, Mm -hmm. whether it's from this provider or this curriculum or these things. And then the next thing you know, it's being pushed down on you, all the things that you were trying to get away from by leaving whatever the other situation was. So, you know, living in a republic, the responsibility for all of us is that we have to be somewhat involved. And it doesn't have to be like an aggressive hobby for everyone Mm -hmm. because I know not everybody likes to do that and that's okay. But But there are certain levels people can be involved in, right? We all are gifted in certain things, networking, speaking, being a community leader. We're all gifted in certain ways. Moms, especially moms, we do have our special gifts and talents. Given the way that you are gifted, given, I mean, maybe at the time it's monetarily, you can give monetarily to support these organizations that can do that. Maybe the only thing you have is time. That's a huge investment. That's almost, you know, harder to commit to. Like, showing up at board meetings or showing up just for solidarity. You don't have to go and speak, but you can sure hold up a sign. You can sure sit on the right side of the aisle, whatever it is. That's, I mean, you... Even just an awareness, right? Just to be in an awareness of like kind of knowing what, what you're plugged into and who's running things. That's a great start right there. I mean, it's really important to understand that the bureaucracy and the system, you know, the cartel, if you will... I mean, they have plans for not keeping it where it is. I mean, there's another thing you could decide to search out there called community school model, our whole child education. And essentially what the concept of this is, is that it doesn't matter where you go to school. If it's private, if it's religious, if it's homeschool, if it's public school, um, you're going to be part of a community school and that's mandatory and it's going to be brought in under a right to have mental health. And that all of a sudden, every child needs to be assessed for such things and treated for such things. And so you have to report to your community school for these things. So if you look at the trends, certainly in public schools, where not only counselors are there, social workers are there, all of a sudden now, you know, they're looking at being able to address mental health. Some schools are essentially diagnosing and treating. I mean, when you look at this issue of gender dysphoria and school districts that are treating a child for gender dysphoria um, without telling the parents without with or without telling the parents. I mean, they're you can make an argument that you're practicing medicine and you think, well, how are they getting away with this? It's because it's really hard for the everyday person to have to challenge this giant system. And not everybody has the means to be able to sue or, you know, take the actions that need to be taken on a larger scale. And so, you know, it. <laughs> I realize like I I sound like really negative and I am sorry for that. And I think it's just I'm trying to let people know what's out there and that it's not the choice isn't just kind of staying where it is or maybe getting a little bit better. Like the reality is like the people who have gotten things to where they are don't plan on staying where it is. And so it's really up to us. Yeah to be able to pay attention, know what's going on, at least having a level of awareness and really, really understand what what's in store for our kids. Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much. I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge and experience 
you being out in the field like you are and talking to so many. Will you please give our listeners some places to learn more and to follow you and how they can get involved? Absolutely. Uh, If you want to learn more about Moms for Liberty, you can go to momsforliberty.org, all spelled out. And uh, if you want to learn if there's a local chapter, you can click on the big picture of the United States where you are. And if there is a chapter, there will be a link for the website there. And if there isn't, there's a link where you could find out more about starting your own chapter. You can also follow Moms for Liberty's podcast called Joyful Warriors on all the places where podcasts are. And on social media, that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, those are all the Moms for Liberty sites. As far as your school board itself, you can do a simple search of your school district name and board of education and start learning from there. And as far as library books, you can go to your school website or possibly your district website and do some searches there. And we have an amazing resource offered that is a spiral bound book. And it says books in your child's school that will be available for purchase. So it does have a idea of you can get an idea of what it looks like and places like what are these and it has incredible excerpts it has that it has the ala description so you can see that it has some of the graphic images which is unfortunate and so you can also go to the website to purchase that all right well housewives i know this was a lot of information take a look at your school board. And if you have any more questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to the resources that'll be in the show notes. And until next week, housewives. Until next time. Have a great day. Bye. Whether we made you laugh or cry today, we pray you feel appreciated, bolder and braver than yesterday, stronger and more faithful for tomorrow and living in who you were made to be today. Join our online community on Facebook. Link in the show notes. And be sure to review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time, housewives, we give you permission to walk confidently, free, and to be intentional in your slippers or stilettos.